Okay. Uh, so good to see you all. Um, you know what? I, I love it when you can always tell the character of a worship leader when a string breaks. You know what I mean? But did that detour Harrison from stopping? You know, that's a, that's a, real, that's a real pro right there. But uh, thank you, Harrison. It was a perfect song selection. Perfect. And so thank you so much. Uh, <clears throat> well, I want to start off by just thanking you. Uh, many of you have already come up to me and asked me about my daughter. <clears throat> As you know, the last year and a half has been probably the challenging, most challenging time of our life because we actually have walked her through a brain surgery and a recovery. And uh, she's a, she is a miracle. I can't, I, there's no other way I can say it, but it's a miracle. Um, we saw her change in her late teens. We didn't know what it was. We just thought she was going to be a wild child, and she was. Um, and, uh, and then it just progressively got worse, and somebody said to us, you know, you, you, you know, have you ever had her checked out? You know, I said, well, we've done more than having her checked out. We, duct tape never worked. No, no. <laughs> but we took her, um, and they said, you need to do an MRI on her. So, so we said, well, what for? You know, I, wouldn't it be great when you raise kids that can be wild all the time? All you have to do is just go take an MRI. Oh, that's what's wrong with them. You know what I mean? But, but anyways, we found out that she had a brain tumor. So we've been walking her through. I don't know how much I've shared, but it's a miracle from the surgeon, the most world-renowned surgeon. You know, just happened to be in the right place at the right time with a friend of mine who teaches over here at Stanford. Ran into him when he was doing a seminar. Got him to do the surgery. Couldn't do it here because of COVID. We did it in Spain. And she's been recovering ever since. And the miracle isn't just her physical recovery. The miracle is what's going on in her spirit. Um, she, uh, as some of you know, I was just sharing with, with, uh, with Nate and, and, and Gail and, and Heidi and Harrison last night that one of the things, she, she's always had garnered a lot of attention. She's, she's signed with some elite um, Hollywood as well as you know, New York modeling agencies. And that used to mean everything to her. She was part of the Bieber crowd, if, you know, if I haven't ever shared that with you. And so she's had more attention than anybody should. Um, and the long story short, that always kind of ruled her life. When this surgery hit her and the recovery and then the presence of the Holy Spirit in her life made such a mass, it just returned her baby to us. And um, so now she's at a place, you know, where she's thinking about working on the church staff in L.A. at a church called Mosaic. And, and, then, and she's also thinking about Bible college. And so, you know, I looked at my wife, and I'm saying this in jest. I'm saying, you know what? If, if every surgery was this kind of success, maybe I'll get some surgery, you know. Uh, um, but and I, I say that in jest because nobody wants to go through this. And some of you have. Uh, but I tell you, there's nothing like hearing when you walk through this door and have about 10, 15 people come up to you. How's your daughter? How's your daughter? How's your daughter? So thank you. Thank you for your love and your patience for, with us as well. But hey, the bottom line is it's just good to see you all. It's good to be in the Bay Area. The Niners are going to crush today. You know what I mean? The Giants, well, that's another story. <coughs> but, you know, I have a question. And it's a question that I've been asking a lot. Because we're talking about something today that I've been really thinking about a lot. In fact, I'm write, actually writing a book about this topic. And so, no, I'm not using you as a guinea pig. 
I'm using everybody as a guinea pig. But uh, we're, we're going to actually be talking about faith or fear. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But the question I have for you, for all of us, is what's the dream that God's put in your heart to make an eternal difference in a person's life, in your community, with your neighbors, with your workmates? Because really, at the very heart of the Great Commission, there's this dream that God puts that we are going to be a force that is going to help bring change by the power of God's Spirit in any environment that we're at. And, and, and I think about it, it isn't just serving human need, you know, and that's important. We need, we need to be at the forefront of that. But how do we meet the spiritual need, particularly in the kind of lostness that we see here. But what's your dream, your individual dream? I can tell you years ago on a campus that's not too far from here, actually, that I, that I did my undergrad, God gave me a dream. And it was a dream to go into vocational ministry. And, and um, I remember calling my, my parents back in those days, they, we didn't have cell phones. And so my mom would be on one phone, my dad would be on the other phone, and you know, they would talk to their son. And I remember telling them, you know what? I believe that God's calling me into ministry. Isn't that great? Um, and my mom, being full-blooded Italian, and, and, and that means a whole lot more than that sounds, you know. Um, she, she's, kind of, she's full of energy and opinions. Um, but she just went crazy. She said, you know what, you know, I cannot believe, this is like the most happiest moment in my life, you know, and, and, and you know, because you, you once were a demon, and now I think maybe you, you, you know, you're recoverable, you know, and, I, well, thanks, Ma, <laughs> I love you too, you know, that meant, that meant a lot of love was coming to me and, 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 and that family, but uh, uh, anyway, she was so, so excited my dad's on the other side and he's completely silent so and so i'm going okay dad dad and uh he wasn't very positive he says you, you mean you're going to throw your life away for some kind of faith thing and then he went on he says and, and you are relegating yourself to what adverse poverty i mean how are you ever going to support a family and my dad was an immigrant so, and my mom was a first-generation immigrant. So they just said, look, we're doing all of this for you. You go out there and make a difference. And, uh, but, but it was a step up. I'm telling you this today. It was a step up from what I told him before, because before that, I wanted to be a musician. And my dad, my dad said, there is no way <laughs> well, you're going to do that, you know, because uh, I, I'm not going to be paying your bills, you know, son, for the rest of your life. And so, uh, so I thought it would be a little different, you know, in ministry. Uh, and I was, like, shocked. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going I'm to give you some advice. And it was advice that I received from my father. And that is if you're going to pursue that career, he didn't call it ministry, he called it a career. He said, you're going to have to do a few things. He said, I want you to go around and I want you to interview those that you see as maybe successful or who have made an impact in the and I want you, to, and he told me, he gave me this plan. Spend five minutes with them. Have I ever shared that here? Spend five minutes with them. And, and what I want you to do is ask them two questions. 
And so, you know, I'm waiting. And, and my dad, I, you know, he was my hero. And so, you know, the, oh, I took out this really, really hard um, because I knew it was God. And, and later on, he admitted he knew it was God. But, you know, he had a hard time just thinking, you know, that's what I was going to be doing. Um, and so he didn't have the highest view of ministry um, at all. But it's another story, but the Holy Spirit turned his life around. But the first question he said you need to ask him is, is um, how did you do it? I mean, look what's going on here. How did you do it? What are those steps? And then the second question was, what didn't go like you thought it was going to go? <laughs> In other words, how did you navigate through the tough times and the challenges and the nuances of change and, and, and difficulty? How did you do that? He says, that's where you're going to find a lot of wisdom. And so guess what? I called probably about 100 pastors. <laughs> Five of them got back to me. Well, that's another sermon all to itself. But the, so I, you know, I asked them the question, and I, and I garnered so much information. To this day, I talk about it to this day. That's why I asked you if I had ever said anything, because it made a huge difference in my life. But as I encapsulated the challenges, there is a lot of good information that I received from them. I will tell you, most of what I know came from lay people, you know, about ministry. Um, and not seminary, not anything. It's people who have to go in every day and then look at a vision and then align their vision, assess, are we doing our vision? You know, uh, what, what's our results? So it's lay people. But this made a big difference to me because that gave me a whole list of the challenges and how they were able to navigate through those challenges. And, 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 but there was one thing that came up in every single conversation that was a big challenge. And it was the word fear and how they dealt with the word fear and the reality of fear. And, and I heard these, these people who many of them I looked up to just, just admit Hey, man, that's been a major obstacle. They said it in different ways, but they all, all of them hit on it. The fear of failure. What if I launch something and do something and it crashes and it burns? You know, the, the fear of not really knowing if I'm hearing clearly what God is saying. You know, is this me or is it God? And, you know, where's that, where's that delta between the two, you know? Um, the fear of being rejected. What if I did something and nobody follows? The, the, the spiritual conviction of sharing the truth, the hard truth, in a culture that would call you bigoted for being biblical. And, and just afraid, just to say what the Word of God says. The fear of being exposed. What if I find out who I really am? The fear of commitment. Man, if I start that initiative, that means I'm going to have to work even harder. And I'm beginning to like the pace that I'm working at. These are the things that, they, that they've, they've said. Um, the fear of change. This is my comfort zone. I'm not going to give any more than what I'm going to give. The fear of abandonment, of making mistakes, of, 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 of losing control. And so almost all of them said this, and so I tend to micromanage things. So, so it's me making decisions. It's me setting the pace. And I, as I think through that, and I think what we're going through as a culture, um, I just think that maybe you're here, 
And you know God has given you a dream. And he's called you to something. Even I don't care how old you are. Because there's no retirement in the kingdom of God. There's no retirement age. We just keep on going, man, and doing the Great Commission. And seeing how many people are, are one to Jesus. Seeing life changes. But may, maybe God's giving you a dream. But maybe there's a fear. I don't know what it is. But you do. That keeps you from uh, letting go. And living that life of faith. That he's always wanted you to do. You know, now being at this really young age of 63, I've seen a lot of people, I've been around a lot of leaders, and I know people that will go. I was, I was talking to Harrison about his dad, who never stopped. You know, he just, he just went to heaven. You know what I mean? But he never stopped here, you know, and it's like, wow. But this morning, what I want to talk about is a story. And you've heard the story a hundred times. It's probably the most pronounced example of what fear can do to living out faith. And it's one of the ones that I have processed for a very long time. And this is why I'm actually writing about this. And it's the story of David and Goliath. But more or less about David and a lot about King Saul in that story. And I want you to look in your Bibles and, and, and check out 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 11. We'll start there, and it's going to be on the screen behind me. Anyways. Uh, and, and the Bible says, listen to this. Saul said to his men, Saul and, excuse me, Saul and his men heard what Goliath said, and they were so frightened that Goliath um, that they couldn't of Goliath that they couldn't do a thing. Now l- let me just let me let me say that in English now. Okay, uh, um, Saul and his men heard Goliath what, what he said, and but they were so frightened of Goliath that they couldn't do a single thing. Now I'll get into this a little later, but this is these are the army of this is the army of Israel, and and the army of Israel was much like the New England Patriots, man. They won a lot. You know what I mean? You know, uh, um, and it's going to be the story of Brock Purdy, you know, as well. If the Lord has us now. <laughs> teasing. <laughs> but but um, <laughs> they're, not, they're not the group of people that you would notice would be afraid of anybody. They are, you know, um, they were the force, if you will. God's force. But when you think about this, particularly through the eyes of, of the writer, in, in the original Hebrew, it literally means that when the armies of the Israel saw that Saul was afraid, they became afraid. They became afraid. And did you know that fear can infect or affect people? And, and it's, it, it's, it's the truth, and you see it here being displayed probably as pronouncedly as anything that you'll ever see or witness. You know, as, as I have just seen what's happening in our culture and in our churches, I would say one of the greatest challenges, just like those men who I interviewed with before I even started, before, that was my freshman year of college, when I asked those questions. But nothing's really changed. The greatest challenge that we face today is fear. And here's something that we all need to process. 
But the enemy knows that your dreams and our dreams become fantasy if we're too afraid to take the step of faith to allow God to make them reality. And boy, do I see that in churches. And I see it every day, you know, with people, and so do you, with people you work with. The enemy knows that your dreams become fantasy if you're too afraid to take the step of faith to allow God to make them reality. And I'm talking about the person who has that great big dream. They hold on to it because of fear. The truth is, is that that sums up a lot of life of a lot of people. Maybe even the church today. There's a lot of activity without faith. Thus, there's not a lot of fruit. I had a coach that used to say, a winner is a loser who isn't afraid to try one more time. And how true is that? And I, I always ask myself this question. I, you know, my, my poor kids, you know, they, they have to live with me, you know, and they're all out of the house. Um, they still go to the same church. Um, they invited me to their church. All right, Dad, we'll invite you too. Um, but here's, here's what, here's what you know, um, they say to me all the time is that, you know, um, you, you've given us w more counsel, you know, on, on not giving up in anything. And so, okay, we're not giving up anymore, you know, and, and, but it's always fun to, to, to watch them roll their eyes when, when I throw out exactly what I just said to you, that, hey, don't give up. A winner is a loser who isn't afraid to try one more time. We don't understand God's timing. I sure don't. But all I know this is the perfect God has perfect timing. And it sure is frustrating that time's waiting on him. I'll talk about that in just a second. And so I ask these questions. You know, what dream have you given up on? And there might be a whole criteria of reasons why you're there. And all of us probably could even say they're justified. You see, falling down is an accident, but staying down is our choice. And if, you're, if we're ever going to choose to fear anything, it's, it's this, that we are the same condition spiritually five, five years from now as we are today. I mean, what's growing in our life or what is fear stunted? Because we all know that our faith can move mountains, but you know what? Fear creates mountains. It builds mountains. One of my mentors and ministers, a guy named Dr. George Wood, and he led this ministry. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Assemblies of God, but it's a denomination. It has about 65 million people oversee it. It's a missional, you know, so, uh, and they have about 3 million here, but they have about 65 million there. And it's a, it's a Pentecostal, charismatic group. And, and so for the longest time, what they counted was how many people were, got healed. And then they said, okay, well, that's great, but how many people are getting saved? You know, and, but it was just, it's amazing to see what's going on there. But he, he used to use these acronyms all the time. And, and he, you know, he said, well, Jason, you know, fear has a couple meanings. You know, F-E-A-R, you can forget everything and run. Or you can face everything with God and rise. And I tell you, if I could challenge any church, but particularly here, I want you to know this, that everything that we have been called to is on the other side of fear, personally, at work, in our marriage, as a parent. 
And the story here is it begins the way that we began, um, is, is that, that we see this contagion fear spread through um, um, that community uh, of Israel. But you and I have seen, and maybe you were raised by a parent who was a fearful parent. <laughs> and as much as you don't like to admit it, maybe you become fearful of the same things that they were feel fearful you know, from. That's a way of spreading. You've seen it spread with your kids uh, um, or in somebody else's family, their kids, or you know, you know, a spouse or employees or friends, or the church. It just spreads. I've already said that my mother was 100% Italian. Before she became a Christian, she, went, she was 13 years old and thought it was really cool to go see a fortune teller. And so she walked into one of those weird places and she had her fortune told. And that fortune teller told her something. Basically, you know, that created fear in her, her entire life. She, she's had people pray for her. And that, that was this. She, it, she was told that one of your loved ones, the one that you dear, one person that you dearly love is going to drown. And... Um, and that's the only thing she remembered from there. The enemy had a stronghold of it. And so we were raised with a mom who is scared to death. Now, you've got to understand, we lived by the ocean. <laughs> All of us surfed, <laughs> you know. And she was just, you know, uh, if we were by a lake, you know, you bring your floaties. Well, I'm, I'm 18 years old, Mom. I don't think floaties work anymore, you know. Or, you know, if, if, it was, if you're surfing, just make sure that there's somebody there, you know, by you. And my dad used to roll his eyes, and he said, no, here's what we're going to do. Because he saw this our entire lives. He said, no, we're going to teach him how to swim. That, that's, that's how we're going to do it. And so we took more swim classes than anybody ought to. In fact, I tell people we were abused by taking too many swim lessons, you know. Uh, but now we're, we're never overconfident. Um, but it was amazing how every single one of our brothers and sisters at our family unit said, yeah, I mean, I love being in the water. I like to water ski. I like to surf. I like to boat. But mom's warnings are still there, you know. And it's, it's funny how it plays itself out. Now, you may have been raised that way. Who knows? But I can tell you this. Saul was afraid. And when the armies of Israel saw that they were afraid, I mean, saw that he was afraid, everybody became afraid. Have you ever met somebody who's just afraid to lead? Maybe you're in a work environment right now, and, and you've encountered what I call people pleasers, and they have the, the heart of gold. But they're afraid to make a decision because they're afraid to offend someone even though they know that they have to confront a toxic behavior or a divisive behavior or an angry behavior. And they let it go. They let it perpetuate because of fear. I, I always tell people, please, that, hey, if you want to make every, everybody happy, don't be a, a, a leader. Sell ice cream. Usually that brings a smile to everybody. But you're called to lead. And... And for those who are discouraged, and all of us have been in places like this, Christy and I, between that pandemic and watching my daughter go through, we're looking back and saying, what in the world just happened? All these years, you know, have just gone by. And you, you can relate to that. But for those who are discouraged because you're afraid nothing will change at all. It's just going to be the perpetual dynamics that goes on. 
And it's at times like this, when I read the word, you, you realize that, you know, waiting is really a part of what God does. If, if we like the circumstances, if, if we think the circumstances are, are because of somebody's lack of leadership or because we feel like God's abandoned us or because of whatever, none of us likes to wait. We don't even like to wait in a restaurant. But when you read the word of God, you see waiting is a big part of what he does in us and through us. And listen closely to this, because, you know, how, how long did Joseph wait in prison? He already knew that he was going to eventually ascend to a powerful position. You know, I think it was 13 years that he was in prison. Um, was it more than that? Does anybody know? I think it was 13. Um, uh, Moses waited over 80 years after he knew what God called him to do. Noah, building that ark, waited all those years, rain after rain, being literally ridiculed over and over again. Abraham waited till he was 100 years old. And the most interesting part of the text, when you go through the Bible, is what happened to them, their character, and the promise of what happened after that wait was done. Unbelievable type of ministry of release. And that's one of the hardest parts of the gospel to wrap our heads around. And for as horrifying as it is that sometimes God just says, wait. You know, as horrifying as that is, read the stories of biblical characters who chose not to wait and who pulled the trigger before God was ready to deliver. You know a lot about Abraham. Didn't wait. The whole reason why we have this divide in the Middle East is because of Abraham. He couldn't wait. So the Islamic nation rose up because of his impatience. King Saul couldn't wait. So he went to a medium. And you saw what happened to him. Moses, you know, he, he wasn't willing to wait. Didn't listen to God. Didn't get to go to the promised land. I mean, even there's a case for Judas who wanted a revolution. <laughs> it was a physical revolution that he wanted. And he wasn't going to wait for a spiritual re revolution. So he took what? He took it into his own hands, you know, to affect to, to change. And what happened? You know, well, you know what happened. And I, I could go on and on and on. But here's the thing. It, during the waiting period, and when we fear, oh, God, how long is this going to go? Man, that's human. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with processing through that. But there is a dynamic that happens that either it turns us sour or it strengthens our faith. Because what you sing about, God's in control. And if you're anything like me, you hate to wait. So what's he doing? All we can do is fall in his presence and say, God, what are you doing in my life? What can I learn from this? God's timing is always spot on, and, and it frustrates me that I'm not God. <laughs> because he's the one who follows through. That doesn't mean that we can't do things to release God to do the things that he wants to do. Fear is one of those things. Our stubbornness is one of those things. Sin is one of those things. Our anger is one of those things. But here's a thought that I want us all to process through. And I, quite frankly, I think the church as a whole needs to process through this. That sometimes when you're in a dark place and you feel like you're buried, 
Have you ever thought for one second that you may have actually been planted? It feels like you're covered. It feels like it's all enclosed. It feels like it's dark. But maybe God is planting us, germinating us for what he wants to do in our life or in our marriage or with our kids or at our workplace or in our church. I've seen fear paralyze people to make a decision. And I, I, I've always said the biggest mistake that we can always make is being afraid to make one. And that failure is not, even if it's the fear of failure, take the steps anyways, because you know what? A bruise is not a permanent scar. It'll heal in God's timing. And we all know that the difference between a master and a beginner is the master has failed more times than the beginner has even tried. And the point here is, is that in our life, in any arena that we find ourselves in, is that you can't start the next chapter in your life if you keep rereading the last one. And a lot of us, and I'm not talking about PHC. <laughs> I'm talking about a lot of churches. I'm still talking about the past. When God is saying, well, hey, when you're done reading that chapter, you know, I, I got a fresh one for you. But you better be ready in your heart, and you better, and, and those roots you, you need to be nurtured because I want to use you in ways that you've never even dreamed of. And all of us have this catalytic decisions, courageous catalytic decisions that we, that we need to face in, in faith and not fear. You know, one of them is the courage to stay with it when it would be easier to quit. And everything I'm saying right now is based on thematic um, ex experiences in the text. There are those that had the spirit you know, and the courage to stay and face their fears when it's easier just to quit. And they didn't. Read Hebrews chapter 11. Or the courage to leave when it would be easier to stay. Or the courage to get help when it's easier to pretend like we have it all together. Or, or the courage to do the will of God even if it means that I lose everything for his glory. So you know the story of David and Goliath, and I'm intentionally staying away from those things that we hear all the time. And here the armies of Israel are afraid, and the Philistines are just laughing, mocking, you know, God. Goliath is mocking God, and everybody, you know, in that, in that little valley where they all gathered together, it was chaos. And... David picks up five smooth, well, first of all, he runs out there, okay? Uh, it, nobody was going to think that he was going to make it, you know? And it was, it's kind of like Dallas Cowboys. Nobody ever really thinks they're ever going to win again. No, if you, you know, if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, I apologize. Um, I used to think that wise men still follow the star, the Dallas Cowboys star. Uh, no. All right, let's get back to what we're talking about here. So, so with that, um, he pulls out five, five smooth 
stones. And I like the fact that he, he had to choose which ones were smooth. I mean, you don't pick up rocks and they're automatically smooth. So he knew something or he saw something. He went, so he took his time, you know, gathering those stones. And, and imagine that. Here's this, this, this beast of a man, you know, cursing God, cursing the armies of Israel. And this guy's searching for some smooth stones and with, with what? What did he have? A sling against the guy who had a sword that was probably bigger than David was. And he matches up to him, faces him off, and hits him right between the eyes in the first shot and kills him. Now, if it would stop right there, that's enough. Because, wow, and that's where we usually stop. But I want you to see here, uh, and we have this you know, on the screen behind me, what he did after he killed Goliath. Well, but you're going to think, this guy's brutal. The Bible says that David ran over, pulled out Goliath's sword. Now, I wish I could see that, because I'm sure that sword was, like I said, as big as he is. Pulled it out, and what did he do? And then he used it to cut off Goliath's head. It's a little R-rated, you know, uh, scripture right there. Cuts. Now, why in the world would he do that? Now, there's lots of speculation. But you know where I land? I land where we see David trying to make a point to prove, you know what? There was nothing there to fear. <laughs> look. Look at what stopped the armies of Israel from believing that they could do what God called them to do, that they had done dozens of times before. One guy in a big suit with his giant sword that now they cut off his head, and it was like, I mean, there must have been silence. And then there was chaos, because the Bible says the Philistines saw what happened to their hero, and they started running away. And, and that always leads me to this point, that the things that we often fear are never as big as we think, because we don't see the whole picture. God's in control. And if you use that acronym in a different way, F-E-A-R, false expectations appearing real. I mean, God is doing something. At times, we may not see it. We may not even feel it in our families, in our home, in your career, in this church. But he wants to do something big. Not big like we think big. Big as an impact. Seeing people's lives change. Us growing in the Lord. But look, look what the Bible says. Um, when this happened, the soldiers of Israel, now all of a sudden they get their moxie back. You know, they had it all the time. And the Bible says that the, the soldiers of Israel and Judah let out a battle cry, and they went after them. They just started chasing them in Gath and Ekron. And back to that false expectation appearing real. I see it in families, boardrooms, companies, churches. I see it all the time. But they're free from that image of fear. In verse 53, listen to this. Then the Israelite army returned from chasing the Philistines. <laughs> this is a crazy passage here. And then they took anything that they wanted from the enemy's camp. And the only thing I can imply there is that freedom. Hey, man, we're an army. We're here to, to take 
you know, a, a territory for God. And we're taking this territory for God. We're free of fear. I've been around a lot of, lot of leaders, and so have you. But I've always, always, I always just, just was turned off by when I saw people criticize leaders who've tried something to do that, that they never risked to do themselves. You know, how do you know? Have you ever taken a step of faith, you know, to tell somebody in the office, hey, you know, that toxic behavior is, is, is killing us. Or with your kids, hey, you're going the wrong direction. Oh, I just want my kids to love me. Oh, well, I'll tell you what. They'll love you, but they'll never respect you unless, unless you speak the truth and love to them. So I, I want to just close this time by talking about how we face fear. What's the antidote to fear? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Because these these verse, verses are self-descriptive, okay? And they're simple ones, and you know them. The first one is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And let's, let's read this together, okay? God has not, let's do it aloud too, by the way. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, if we had another half hour, which we don't, I would go through, you know, what this, he hasn't given us the spirit of fear. That's not who God is. He doesn't create fear. He creates opportunity, even in the midst of fear. But listen, of power. You know what? It may look like we're buried, but maybe he's planning us for something pretty big. Um, the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through. I hope you've liked the teaching that we've had in Acts. You know, because a big center part of that is the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And the gifts that we have that are available to us that no human obstacle or mortal obstacle can, can, uh, can stop the power of God. And, and, and a lot of this is, God, I just pray for your empowerment to be your person for this time. Love. We think that by telling the truth that they, they won't like us. And, and they probably won't if we launch the truth at them. But if we love them, hey, they, they can not like what you say at all, but there's going to be a respect there. I love this. Sound mind. When we let fear or bitterness or anger begin to twist our mind and then we begin to take it out on God or others, in our, in our family or in our workplace or wherever you're at, you know what happens is that your, your brain gets twisted a little bit. You start seeing through, through, the, through the lens of your anger and of your fear, and you think you're making sense, but you know what? It sounds like, in the spirit, like you're angry, <laughs> you're fearful, and you're bitter. And God is saying this in 1 John 4. 418, perfect love drives out fear. And that's what he wants to do in us, in any environment that we're in. And that's what he wants to do in the church. See, God loves us so much that not only did he get his son, but he loves us too much to keep us this way. He's always wanting to work in our life. He's perfecting us. And that perfection is something that never stops until we're in heaven. And I don't know what he's doing with us when we get to heaven. You know, I mean, I, I, who knows? Maybe we all catch up. I, I don't understand heaven enough to, to know. But I know this. 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to have a few faults before I get there and thank the Lord that the, his grace is, is all surpassing and prevailing grace is going to allow me to stand right face to face with the Lord. But in the meantime, he's working things out in us. Why? Because he loves us so much. He loves us too much to keep us this way. And so we're all doing this together. The one thing that you, all of us need to hear is that regardless of what's happening in culture, and it's getting wackier and wackier every single day. I can't believe what's going on. God knows what's happening. And he's raising up people that have the courage to be his people in this time. And that is what he wants to do here. Now, in just a moment, we're going to be having some lunch. And we're going to be talking about some next steps for the church. First time I ever walked into this church, I felt God's spirit. I've never forgotten that. It happened to be in this room. So I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm back in this room. It feels good. But, and I've never, ever for a second have ever thought any different. Now, there have been some complications. <laughs> and there has been some waiting. And there has been you know, a lot of things go on. But I can tell you this. This is friend to friend. I have never stopped believing that God can do something great here. Mark and I went to some lunch, and we just started talking about what, what God can do here. And we're going to talk about a couple examples of what God is doing through replanting and planting. And I will tell you point blank, the churches that are making the biggest impact, not, not the largest. <laughs> I've already told you, the number thing doesn't do anything for me. It's a community that makes an impact, a spiritual impact on its community and beyond. But it starts with us, and it spreads. And some amazing things that are happening. Um, and so, you know, with that, I just want you to know, we're just beginning. Oh, I know. It's pretty frustrating at times. And I also know this. God hasn't forgotten this place. And I just want to personally thank you for hanging. Because I believe some people will come back, but there's a whole community that needs Jesus and I believe even more now than I did. I have spent quite a bit of time with Nate and Harrison. And, and we've talked, I think at times maybe we've even argued, you know. Um, we've cried, or at least I did. Uh, uh, <laughs> and we dreamed. But to be truthful, we've laughed a lot too. And it's taken a little bit of time to get all the ducks in a row, but when we start talking about how we're going to take our next steps, um, I can just say that I've never seen where I haven't seen God move. And, and, and so, but you have been there, and I want to thank you for it. I, I'm not a pretender. I'm a straight shooter. Uh, you already know my flaws. But I'm very thankful for those of you that are here. And I, I know people who aren't here who I talk to quite often, you know, as well. But God has a very special uh, um, next step for this place. And it's taken us a little time to get there, but we're there. And so um, uh, I don't want fear. I don't want us to be driven by fear. I want us to be driven by faith. And I believe we'll, we'll see it. 
we'll look back and say, you know what, that bald-headed guy, what, you know, he, he was right every once in a while, you know? But more than that, the reputation of God, he is faithful. And that's why I love your worship set, brother. I'm, I'm looking at our time here, and I realize that we're going to have to pivot. Uh, but what I'd like to do now is just to kind of uh, at least close this portion of the service here. And I just want you to stand. And if we can do this, um, uh, and I, this may feel uncomfortable for some of you, but why don't, you just, why don't we just kind of gather around the front right over here? And we're going to pray. We're going to pray for you, and we're going to pray for our church, um, and we're going to pray for this community. And I'll lead. And then while I'm um, up here, Harris, why don't you come up, and we can just start some worship, when, you know, um, when we get good background music going, and then you can lead some. Yeah. And then uh, let's, let's um, <clears throat> uh, spend some time focusing on what God wants to do. <clears throat> so if you want to, you can join hands or you can put a shoulder on another person. You know, if COVID is, is freaking you out, then don't do that, you know. Uh, um, but, but we're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit just moves. Hey, all we need is, what, what does the word God say? Is when it's two or more, and we're beating that by a mile, you know. Uh, um, so, <clears throat> but let's pray. Father, thank you for each person here in this room, and for those that aren't, and for those who couldn't be here. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just overwhelm them with your presence, with your confidence, Lord. And, and Lord, in, this, in, in, in their families, I don't know all the dynamics, Lord God, but you do. Many of us have kids, and we see what they're going through. I just pray now by the power of your Spirit, Lord God, that you just rest on our kids, Lord, that your Holy Spirit what would really begin to speak to them in, in ways, Lord. And, and if they've walked away from you, Lord, I just pray right now that the power of your Holy Spirit would beckon them back. You know, to, Lord, I, I, I pray for those that are, have responsibility at work. And it isn't just their work ethic or, or just what they bring to the table, but it's also their witness, Lord. And I pray that for each person here that you would just begin, Lord, to give them a strategy to know how to use uh, um, that environment to share hope without any repercussions or fear, even though they're there, Lord, protect them as they share the message of hope. Lord, we pray for this church that your Holy Spirit, uh, Lord God, way back when the original person started this church, had a vision to see this church win people for Jesus. Lord, that's our heart. We don't want to replace any of that. We just want to be used by you, God. Give us the humility to be used by you. Lord, the, the, the message of the waiting. But more than anything else, Lord God, the faith to, to walk the next steps. And Lord, we hand all of this to you. I pray for anybody here that needs physical healing, Lord God. I just pray that the power of your spirit would just touch. Thank you for the testimony, you know, of of just, um, see, even with my youngest, Lord God, seeing what you're doing in her life. And that you can touch us, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally. And I just pray that kind of touch, that kind of healing, take place, Lord. And Lord, I pray for um, just this community that we begin to see the walls of the enemy come down, Lord. You replace, Lord, with the power of your Holy Spirit, the people of God in their places, Lord, at an appointed time to make a difference, to transform 
this place for you. So, Father, again, thank you for your love, for your presence here, for these people, Lord. And we worship you, Lord God. We thank you for this. And we ask this in your holy name, we pray. Amen. Amen.